Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. Je m'appelle Scuzzy Gruen, aussi Alex. And this week, I am joined, as always, by my coach, my pal, my Keyforge compadre. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's going on, Blake? Hey, man. What's going on? Not too much. All right. We're not going to spend the whole episode talking about this. But you got your AOA decks. I got my AOA decks. Have you cracked and played a bunch of AOA since they came in on that crazy deal that we both uh, were able to get on over the over the holiday break? Well, I've actually only cracked three decks. I've been patient. I'm saving it for content. As much as I just want to rip them all open, uh, I realize the folly of doing that for many reasons. One being, then I don't have... Uh, items to use for my YouTube, and mm-hmm. two, then I will not be able to play them and get a couple reps in. So uh, I'm failing in my ability to commit to the idea of playing every deck I open from here on out, which is something that happened with Mass Mutation, and I've uh, I really like it because I know there's a lot of decks currently in my collection that have never seen the light of day in terms of what can this deck possibly do, and uh, I don't want that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, was uh, a bad a bad boy and I tore open all uh not all of the decks I actually still have a, a display box in reserve for a, a future project which we will talk about at a later date but uh you know I I tore into them I've only played two out of the uh the 12 6 16 decks that I opened I've just been playing those two because they're fun. I'm going to get into the other ones. One of them is so bad I really want to play it just because it looks genuinely awful. Like it has that that thing where I'm like, man, maybe this is my new reversal deck for the once a year that we play reversal. Do you think the reason why um, you haven't played them all yet is maybe because you have just a glut of them? Because I find that sometimes happens. It's almost mm-hmm. like analysis paralysis sort of thing. You have so many decks like, oh, I don't know which one to play. Should I this one? And then you're like, oh, I'm just not going to play actually. <laughs> or I'll do something that I'm familiar with. That is very much the case. And I had that problem with Mass Mutation as well, so you think I would have learned my lesson. You know, I opened so many more Mass Mutation decks than I actually have played. So there is the part of me that's like, man, with the, with the new set coming out, I think I'm going to have to take the Blake the Blake route and just yeah, man. You open should, up a deck, you play that deck three to deck five times. Played, and just so, grab one. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. I like it. But we're not here to talk about AOA or the forthcoming uh, Dark Tiding set. We're here to talk about a topic that you pitched that I'm actually super excited to chat about because I think it's one of those evergreen topics. It's one of those strategy things that, you know, is just very general. So no matter how the game changes, no matter what comes around, I think this is the kind of episode that people will be able to listen to and apply to the game at the time that they're playing. And it is basically talking about when your deck has a weakness, when it is lacking in one area that we think of as being very important to Keyforge, how do you play around it? Or is it even possible to play around it? Um, There's basically four areas that you've identified. Why don't we start off with one of them? All right. So uh, let's, let's go to a layup to start with. So if there's a lack of artifact control in your deck, what, what do you need to do? That's that's the first one. I think this one's the easiest one because the mitigation when you don't have it is uh, it's pretty straightforward, and I don't think it's crippling for a deck. 
For the most part, no. I mean, we could come up with a few examples like proc decks and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the best strategy to deal with a lack of artifact control in your deck is use that time at the very beginning of the game to look at your opponent's deck and identify if there's any problem artifacts you're going to have to deal with. And when I say problem artifacts, ones that warp the game in such a way that it could cripple your deck. So I'm not talking about things like Lash of Broken Dreams. Yeah, it's a pain to have an opponent who has Lash of Broken Dreams when you have no way to deal with it, but that's just going to increase key cast that's not going to stop you from being able to play the game i'm thinking about things like you know uh proc or uh quixelstone decks etc or you know even like uh treaty decks you know things that or heart of the forest for that matter those are the things you mm -hmm. want to look out for if you don't have dark a way amber to, vault dark amber vault yeah if you don't have a way to deal with them you know in the case of dav you're just going to have to live with the fact that your opponent's going to have an edge over you um, mm -hmm. In the case of something like Quixelstone, there are specific strategies that can be applied to that. You know, get your board out, get it big, get it early, you know, make sure that you have a lot of things on the table. But I think overall, you know, artifact control is one of the ones that you can actually probably get away with not having. And there's lots of great championship decks we've seen that have a dearth of it. Yeah, it's true. For for me, one thing that I had was I think if you know it exists and it's something that's going to impact your gameplay, then you're going to want to kind of race because it's when it comes out, you know that that's when things are going to change for the way that you can potentially play the game. So you have the, the well, if your deck can do this, is you want to almost race faster and be more aware of like maybe uh, wanting to, to hit your goals of what your deck wants to do. So cycle maybe a little bit more, things like that. I know sometimes you you don't cycle because of certain things, but maybe you need to do that to to get through things and allow yourself to uh, set up the way your deck wants to play before uh, their hammer comes down on you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to another one here. Tell me, Blake, how do you play a deck that has a lack of board control? And when we say board control, that is not isolated to board clears. That also is like selective board control. So ways of dealing with problem creatures, of which there are so many in the game of Keyforge. How do you how do you deal with that when your deck just doesn't have the tools to deal with your opponent's board? Well, I actually have a lot of experience with this because uh, yesterday I was um, I've been playing the deck from uh, my coach's collection, which is my Ortanu deck. And it's uh, a World's Collide deck with Brobnar, Dis, obviously, and then Saurians. And the Saurians and Dis is very strong. And I always kind of put Brobnar to the side. And and then I had some games yesterday where they, I guess the draw was just really good. So my opponent got out a suite of creatures, uh, about five or six of one house, and were able to actually just keep calling the house and abusing it because they, I didn't have any board control. And I was like, whoa, this is like actually a big weakness in the deck. And it made me also appreciate the Brobnar in the deck. So I realized the Brobnar what was actually was going to be used to control the board because it had uh, two Mog Hunters and a Kalfine, which means there's multiple damage being done. It's not just one creature being attacked. But the big problem that arose from everything was one game, it was a Shadows board that came out. And all of the creatures were elusive except for two. And the creatures that weren't elusive were not important in the scheme of like what I needed to stop. So I had that problem of not establishing a board and then not being able to attack. So I couldn't get enough creatures out to do damage. And one of the creatures they had was a Macus Asp. So they could just go one time into one of my creatures mm -hmm. and take out the thing. So I always was fighting this, this uphill battle. So when you have a lack of board control, you need to know your own creature base. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is important is which house has the most creatures and you're going to want to get a hand of that house. So you may have to burn a turn where you actually build up that one house. So you can drop enough creatures that they can't take care of them all in one go. And then that gives you the ability to respond and do some fighting the next turn. So obviously houses like the Dinos, Sanctum and Brobna are going to be really powerful in dealing with this issue. Yeah, you 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 you're absolutely correct. The note that I have on this one is you if you don't have a way to selectively or completely wipe the board, you have to establish your own board. Mm-hmm. You have to that is the best solution because one not only are you making it so that uh their your opponent has to deal with your creatures lest your creatures deal with his creatures, you're also hopefully establishing threats that he needs to deal with or she needs to deal with. So I yeah. I think just building out your own board is oftentimes the way to go with it. Also, and just this is a very good general strategy for any deck. It's just move as fast as you can, cycle as fast as you can. That's good general Keyforge advice in a lot of cases. In fact, I would say in the majority of cases, some decks don't want to do that, but most decks do. The faster that you can get to where you're going and where you're going is a key, the less time your opponent will have to abuse you with their board that you don't have a way to deal with. Um, Mm -hmm. I really do like your advice, though, of the sometimes you're just going to have to eat it and have a bad turn so that you can build up the the hand of cards that will allow you to build out your own board. That's something that I think oftentimes we overlook is just the what's the optimal turn? Well, maybe sometimes the optimal term isn't the most amber you can get. It isn't the dealing immediately with a threat. It is literally just saying I need to get five or six of the same card into my hand. So what can I do to get there? Yeah, the setup is very important when you're lacking something. I think I think that concept is the setup is very important when you're missing something. And the the other thing too is like like I said this deck that I played was it was such a perfect example for this and and I have it like wrote down yesterday's game in my notes because there's there's like this moment where um if I had recognized what was going to happen I could have been like okay I need to actually set up the Brobnar even though it's the house I least want to call it's actually good to get it out so it's almost like an insurance policy so I can call it and I know those creatures are there even though I'm it's not what the deck wants to do it's like you have a board wipe ready to go because you can just start swinging with stuff or your opponent has to deal with it I think the worst thing you can do in this is if you're playing out like two creatures at a time that's going to really hurt your momentum because you're giving your opponent a chance to respond especially if they have a little bit more board presence than you on top of it it just creates this ability for them to just go okay take this one out take that one out and so you're never really getting there and especially if they if they get an elusive board that's a killer because if you're only putting out one creature or they just leave you with one creature because they know you can't do anything they can literally just ignore one creature altogether because it's not going to be able to effectively get through and then you're stuck with either reaping or trying to get a couple out and it it was like such a great lesson and it was such a nightmare to play against i was just like wow this is very oppressive and these are all two power creatures and i just can't do anything dang dude yeah no I've, I've been in that same scenario and i felt that same sort of feeling of helplessness yeah the, but- the other thing though that you have to be wary of when you are doing this is that this is going to go at the beginning of the game is when you're identifying these things, you need to see like, if you're going to rely on your board, you need to see how many board wipes they have Mm -hmm. because you have to be prepared for that to come down. And if that happens, you realize that you're on the back foot. So if you get a situation, like if the boards are kind of building up together, that gives you a better thing. But if it's like you're getting a bigger board presence and they're not, there's probably a chance that a board wipe is coming because they're just allowing you to, to kind of walk into this ambush, so to speak. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. And that actually is a thing that I thought that I would mention as well is sometimes you will have a little bit. I mean, almost every deck has some kind of board control in it. Maybe it's a creature removal card. Maybe it's a board clear, something like that. Um, if your deck only has the one, then it's contingent upon you to be while you are looking at your opponent's deck before the game to really identify what you think the threats are that need to be dealt with when you do come into that card. So if it's something simple like Oubliette, where you know you're going to have the opportunity to purge an under three power creature, you have to look and see, OK, what are the biggest threats? Do I want to blow my one chance at this before, uh, you know, I have that opportunity? Maybe you've got something like a gateway to dis as your one piece of board control and you have to think about the fact of okay when is going to be the right moment to drop this is he playing a dino deck with lots of warding or a uh, uh you know a star alliance deck that has lots of warding i have to be careful that when i use this it's to make sure that he doesn't or my opponent doesn't have the opportunity to establish their board warded out and protect me from this kind of a clear so that's the kind of thinking that you have to be doing um this is one of the things where just knowing the one piece in your deck that can deal with this and how you have to deploy it becomes as much of a focus as all of the strengths that your deck does have. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Lack of Amber control. This is the toughest one. You know, I, I think that there is, you know, so many great decks that I've owned that I've played and the reason that they did not sing, the reason that they could not win, and the reason that I eventually gave up on them was a lack of real usable amber control. Sometimes it's all located in one house, uh, so it's inconvenient for you to be able to get to it. Sometimes you just don't have the cards. You have no way of controlling any amber. Um, how do you deal with a lack of amber control, Blake? Well, this is one that has been really on my mind lately I'm, I'm really exploring this concept because i opened this amazing aoa deck that had two might makes right in it but zero ember control i think the ember control it had was a uh, grok and it had a cutthroat research which is probably the most useless of all the ember controls because it gives you ember control but doesn't really take your opponent off check mm -hmm. and then it had a life web which is like almost impossible to get off which is i think they have to play three or more creatures then you can steal two so it's like it really didn't have ember control because the Grok needed to be on the board, but it had might makes right and a, like two of them and a lot of creatures plus a pan pack uh, uh, anga I want to say the whichever one gets puts two power to all your creatures. Mm -hmm. So it, it's like I was able to pull off the might makes right on turn two with it, and so I, I what I identified was is that I think key cheats are really important because you don't want your opponent to be able to respond to you when you're when you're having to not have ember control. And when you have a little bit of Ember control, I think it comes down to you have to pick your time when you're going to do it. Like you can't just be like, well, it's in my hand. I need to cycle. I don't think you can have that mentality. It's got to be like it needs to be a moment where you're delaying one turn that gives you that chance to be ahead because you can't be behind either. That's the other thing because you know you're not stopping your opponent. You need to be able to go faster than your opponent. You need to even ignore certain things that are happening and focus on yourself generating ember and make them take you off because you know you're not taking them off. It's not something that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're totally correct. Um, this is another case where just, you know, sometimes you got to go fast. Sometimes you got to be Sonic the Hedgehog in these cases. If you don't have the amber mm -hmm. control, then, you know, this was very true back in the Coda days. And in fact, I did have like weak amber control decks that just could win because they were so fast 
not every uh, deck that lacks Amber Control is going to fall into this category. But oftentimes, if you have no Amber Control, then it's just a race. And the mm-hmm. race is to the finish line. And the finish line is three keys. And then it's a matter of I will deal with whatever I have to deal with to get to those three keys. And I will not worry about my opponent's Amber because there is nothing that I can do about it. Um, I think that the thing you have to watch out for in these cases is are you working to advance your opponent? Um, if they have a heavy steel deck, if they have lots of ways to take the amber, interdimensional grafts and so forth, and you don't have any comeback for that, is that a thing that you have to look out for? Is it worth it for you to go over six amber and possibly get Ronnie'd multiple times so that you know you're taken back down under a key and your opponent is way, way up on you all of a sudden? That's really the only advice I can offer on this one because to be totally frank with you, Blake, I don't know that there is a good answer for a deck with lack of amber control. Some of them can make it by sheer speed, some of them through trickery and grinding. I think you and I have both played those grindy decks that just mm-hmm. they don't have real amber control, but they slow down the game to such a degree that your opponent can't burst past you. And you just turn by turn one or two amber at a time, slowly get to those three keys. Those are, you know, uh, possibilities. But uh, I still think it's the greatest weakness that any deck can have. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Um I've noticed as well. There's there's a that the key cheats that don't require ember. So or or ember is not as as potent. Like you can you can get away with not having it. Like obsidian forges are a great counter to it. Um, might mix right if you have the right combination because you're not actually spending ember as much to forge keys. Uh, Imperial forge like those ones where you're it's actually. Uh, there's factors beyond the actual ember and things count towards ember same with like key abduction it helps you get around these things because even if you don't have ember control you can still um and you don't even need to use ember to make what you want happen which is forge keys and that gives you an advantage because you're not having to generate ember to get the key it's going to happen another way so those are the i think the most important key cheats in this realm because it puts you ahead in the race in that way um one caveat I have to this, though, is when you actually don't have Ember Control, you need to be much more aware of your opponent's board because their ability to just reap out a turn mm-hmm. becomes a much greater threat because you know you can't stop them generating that Ember, but you can stop them because you can actually take care of their board. So as much as it is a race, you have to take that into account. How many creatures of any house do they have on the board that they can reap next turn? you should almost prioritize dealing with that board and not generating some ember art yourself because you're going to just be hurt in the long run if they have like four creatures and can just reap for four ember because you know you can't do anything about that but you can if you fought into those creatures and took care of them and then especially if your deck has an ability to generate ember outside of reaping as well then you're going to actually have an advantage in that regards as well yeah much like the uh the the lack of board control if you have the one piece of amber control you gotta learn when it's time to deploy it um obviously we never want to chain ourselves we never want to put ourselves in a position where you know we're impeding our ability to cycle our deck because we're holding on to a card because we were unlucky and drew our only amber control card in our first turn but i think it's pretty much contingent on any player not to waste that opportunity when it comes into their hand Mm -hmm. agreed Last one that we wanted to talk about here, and this is an interesting one for me in a lot of ways, Blake, lack of amber generation. How do you play a deck that can't generate amber when amber is the one resource in all of Keyforge and it's the one that is used to win the game? 
How do you well, play a deck that doesn't have Amber Generation? Well, my man, Scuzzy, this one I think comes down to creature count is king at that mm-hmm. point. And I think this goes actually for the board control as, a, as well as knowing your distribution of creatures per house is really important to know when you're looking at these things. So if you need to use your board as your means of board control or your board as a means of ember generation, you want to know which house has the most creatures because that's the one you're going to want to establish a board with to be able to use to either fight or create ember. And so that's why I think you need to know that. So that's, again, it's like you need to know your creature count and the house distribution of your creatures. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. That's the same note that I have written down here. Board is king in that scenario. If you don't have amber pips, if you have no cards that are going to allow you to steal, which is in fact a form of amber generation, as well as being a form of amber control, which is why it's one of the most incredible mechanics in the game and why they've watered it down so much since the original days of Call of the Archons, then you have to be able to get that board and you have to be able to reap with that board. Your opponent if they're smart, will have board control to use against you. So your focus has to be on doing whatever you can to keep that on the board so that you can reap out with those creatures. Just like when we're talking a lack of amber uh, control in the previous point, you know, your opponent, if they're smart, doesn't want to let you have five creatures of the same house on the board or even more than that. You know, we've all seen those monster boards that can come out, especially during mass mutation. Um, And certainly we saw quite a lot of in the days of Worlds Collide because there was so much warding and other trickery going on. Um, You know, you have to be ready to deal with uh, the fact that they're going to be coming at your board because they probably understand the value of you reaping out. Um, Yeah, it's just about keeping that board, keeping that board on the board. Mm -hmm. And there's also one other thing that that really must be said. We always talk about cycling and playing, you know, board plus hand and all this stuff. When you can't generate Ember from playing cards from hand and you're going to rely on your board, there's going to come a time when you actually have to just play inefficiently in terms of the cycle and just utilize your board. Because by playing cards, you know you're not generating Ember. So you need to utilize your board and not be efficient. That may be you play nothing out of your hand. If your opponent's not going to deal with your four creatures and you can reap four times, you're in a pretty good position. And if they keep, you just keep calling the same thing and you're in check every other turn, like that's problematic for your opponent. And they're going to have to start dealing with it. And when they see you're not playing any cards and just doing the same thing, they're going to go, uh, okay, wait a second here. And then that makes them have to do something. So don't be afraid to cycle less, I think, when you need to generate Amber through your board once that board gets put out there. Make your opponent have to respond to you before you need to cycle. Now, if there's things you're going to need to cycle into at some point to stop your opponent, that changes the equation. But if you can be on the offensive in that way, it really makes your opponent have to kind of rethink about how they're going to stop you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree with you 100% on that point. But I think you can make a mistake in that way is if you keep trying to cycle and you're not reaping, so you keep going back and forth between different houses, you're going to actually get behind because you are cycling through your deck, but you're not generating Ember because you know your deck is not the way that the the Ember will be generated is going to come from your board. So that's just something you have to keep in mind. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're absolutely correct on that one. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that I think that decks that are have a hard time generating Amber have to have some other trick 
They have mm-hmm. to either be one of those grindy decks that we were just talking about. I've had some success with decks that have a lot of amber control and a lot of board control. So you are constantly stymieing your opponent's plans while you just gradually grind out those keys. You know, I, I've had good success with one of my favorite old school Coda decks that has that. It's actually a horseman deck and it has that that capacity. Um but just doesn't generate amber from from playing cards. It generates it from just holding that board and making sure my opponent doesn't forge keys. But if your deck doesn't, if it's lacking in, you know, some other area, like, for example, it can't generate amber and also it has no amber control, forget about it. Like, there's just no point. It might have another cool thing that it can do, but it's not going to be a deck that eventually, ultimately, is going to be very productive for you to play because, you know, this is always the thing that I want to say and I want to say it in a way that doesn't sound like winning is the only thing that matters. But if there's no chance for a deck to win, what is the point of playing? It's true. Unless you have a conversation with someone and you both are bringing similar uh, decks that have that issue and then it, it can be some shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think that there's a lot of fun and a lot of value in play, playing garbage decks against other garbage decks. But if what you're trying to take is just a deck that you know is supremely deficient and you're taking it into a game without a goal that's just like, oh, I just want to see if it can do this. Or I want to see what happens when this happens against another deck. Then ultimately, you're not going to have fun in the long run. Um, it's important, I think, to know uh, you know, what you're investing your time in uh, when it comes to playing decks. Especially if you're limited in the number of you know decks that you get to play on the regular. Yeah. And to that end as well, I think you mentioned if you're missing certain things. Like I think lack of artifact control is the one that that it's it's kind of like a, a take it or leave it situation but i think lack of ember gen lack of ember control and lack of board control if you have any two of those together in a deck the deck is going to seriously struggle and i'm i'm almost like i know you said lack of ember control is the most important but um i think lack of board control is becoming much more relevant and making a stronger case for me lately because if you do have a lack of board and you have a crazy amount of ember control it can counter but there's there's got to be some sort of number threshold here where it's like if you have the equivalent of if it was even doubled into one category it helps you and that's where oh, i don't know man i just i just notice when there's a lack of board it's so tough to to really play in this modern keyforge world we're in right now mm-hmm. the board control seems to be like the most like mitigating issue of like okay i'm i'm screwed here yeah, uh, I don't disagree with you. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those ones where it's just like, what are you? <laughs> the deck has to have something else is ultimately yeah. the thing that it comes down to. Because in the modern game, a lack of Ember control, it's like if you have some, you're fi- if you have zero, that's a problem. But if you have some, I find that uh, lately the type of Ember control, even if you have a little bit of it, it seems to be it lasts a little bit longer. Like it's going to recur turn over turn. So like you just took them off check as you put them in a position where they had to like do something like it's usually key cost increase. I think that created mm-hmm. a lasting effect that helps you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can't end an episode of help from future self without the titular segment. We call this one help, help from, future, from self. future self. I got one for us this week. Um, been playing a lot of these old AOA decks. Uh, I've been really refamiliarizing myself with the card pool. Um, and one of the things that I've refamiliarized myself with the card pool is the idea that uh, certain cards you need to hold in reserve no matter what. Um, 
And this comes from the fact that there are so many killer creatures uh, in Keyforge right now. So many creatures that are just, you know, and there has been since the very beginning. You know, if we go all the way back to Coda, creatures that would just ruin your entire day if you can't deal with them. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as I've been playing these AOA decks is that selective removal and keeping that selective removal for when I actively need it. This all feeds back into a lesson that we talk about all the time, which is reading your opponent's deck, looking for what you're looking for in your opponent's deck and knowing that, all right, when my uh, opponent gets his Restoring Guntus out, I have to have this card in reserve to deal with it. Otherwise, I might not be able to deal with. If my opponent gets, you know, even something as simple as a Hunting Witch out, a common card back in the Coda era, I have to have a way to deal with that. Elsewise, I could be in a position where they burst right past me. Um, so, you know, as much as we've talked about how cycling is important, not chaining yourself is important, I think I've really sort of gotten back to that point where I think a lot about, all right, if I have this card in my hand and I know my opponent has a serious threat somewhere in their deck, do I play it now and hope to cycle back to it? How many cards have I played already? How close am I, into, am I to cycling? Or should I hold it for when that moment happens? Um, those are the things I've been thinking about a lot. So just a simple lesson of when you have a specific answer for something that your opponent's deck has, try and identify it during the deck uh, examination period and then do not waste it. Very good advice. And uh, this is brought to you by the fact that I got totally smoked by a restoring Guntus deck the other day after <laughs> I had totally wasted the the card that I could have used to easily deal with it. So I've been on the uh, the dealing end of that equation. <laughs> I imagine you have been. I imagine you have been. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. Find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and elsewise. Where can they find you, Blake? And what have you got going on? You can find me on Twitter to reach out and have any type of conversation. That's a Boulevard Paper Fight, BLVD Paper Fight. And then, of course, on my YouTube where I'm putting out a, a thorough amount of videos lately. I've got a nice little regiment going and some new stuff in the works as well. And, um, yeah, always catch me streaming Tuesdays on Twitch at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern at Boulevard Blake. All righty. It has been another terrific episode of Help from Future Self, a related topic for the podcast next week, but we'll get to it when we get to it. Until then, stay forward.